Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, two people I need to talk to real quick. The first is my dad. He prayed for offering, and dad, just, just thank you. I know you could have shared some, some stories about me, so thank you for not. <laughs> and it would, I would deserve it. So, and the second is Mitch and Katie, what are you doing here? If you guys didn't hear earlier, they've been married less than 48 hours, and they joined us this morning. So thank you. Uh, All right. Hey, I want to welcome those of you watching online and obviously everybody who's here in person. Um, I have a question for you. you, Have you run into some words, especially those of you who, I'm not going to call anybody old, who have more life experience than others in the room, okay? Have you run into some words and some definitions? I'm noticing this happening where it's like, that's not what that word used to mean when we were younger. And now I'm running into, it's like this upcoming youngest generation. They've, they've got new words or, or new definitions for words. Okay, here, let me, let me read you a couple here real quick. Um, we've got the word, I made a note here, and this was a while back. Remember fat? Fat. Yeah, it was like part of the food we ate, right? And then Funplex over here, if you, if you remember Funplex, who remembers Funplex? Okay, it's like a big entertainment fun center event, uh, fun center over here. And they, they renamed it Fat PH, Fat City. And, and that, was really, that was really cool for a while. But that's not what I grew up with it meaning, okay? Another one, grill. Grill. Yeah, like... Father's Day, we, we barbecue on the grill. No, it's, it can be like something you can do with your teeth now, okay? And, and some of you know that already. You're like, duh, welcome to 20 years ago, Nathan. Um, this is the one that drives me nuts, literally. Literally is no longer literal, is it? In fact, when I hear somebody use the word literally and it's not literal, I just, I go, I, I literally don't ever want to talk to you again, Okay. <laughs> Uh, here, here, this one was new to me last week. I, I mentioned, or a couple weeks ago, we went to the Rockies game for the, the 4th of July fireworks, and we actually went on July 2nd, and this guy is walking down the concourse, and, and they're not, um, carrying around trays of anything right now, and he said, get your glizzies over here, and I went, glizzy? And when I was in high school, a glizzy was a Glock, it was a pistol, that was, that, uh, there's a company in Sweden that, that first started manufacturing those. And I said, I'm sorry, what is a glizzy? And he's like, a hot dog. And I went, what? <laughs> I am out of touch. Okay. Uh, here's another one for you. Cat videos. Cat videos. Okay. So let me explain. I was, I was sick, uh, like, like COVID sick um, months ago. And uh, I was laying there, and, you know, the brain fog thing, it's a real thing, okay? And I'm just, I've got my computer open, and I've got YouTube open, and I came across this video. you got to see it. It is amazing. It's like nature in all its majesty. Take a look. Exploding from the river with ferocious speed, the jaguar ambushes the eight-foot reptile before it has time to react. Wow. Okay, look how happy he was. Just that tail. It's like, eh, I just kind of caught a crocodile. (laughs) Okay, so I'm watching that kind of cat video. 
Kara, I like dozed off. My wife, she, she came in to check on me. And later on, she's like, saw you watching cat videos. I was like, okay, I, whatever that means. You know, I, and I'm trying to explain. It's a big cat documentary. I was watching the ferocity of this jaguar take out a crocodile or an alligator. It was amazing. And, and the strength and the pure muscle of, of these, these jaguars. So she decides to message the whole staff here at the church. And she's like, hey, Nathan's watching kitty videos. But he's, so he's doing okay. Yeah, so here's... here's I think the image or definition of cat video that went into their minds. Take a look at this video. You're my honey bun sugar plum, pumpy umby umpkin. You're my sweetie pie. You're my cupcake gumdrop, snickums, bookums. You're the apple of my eye. And... Thanks, honey. Thank you. Appreciate that. That second one is a good video, though. So anyway, uh, um, all right, another word I want to throw your way, because I think we could have very different, different definitions in here. In fact, if there were a few hundred of us in here, we could very well have a few hundred different definitions, especially this last year. Justice. Justice. Yeah, justice is one of those words where I don't really know what comes to mind for you. Um, But it's clear that in our country, the word justice has held a lot of different definitions over this last year, and it has been an incredibly hot topic and an incredibly divisive subject. Because the, the truth we know about the world we live in is that there are injustices that are being carried out and are taking place. I don't think anybody in here disagrees on that. But when it comes to our definition of justice, that's shifted. And the reason that we're talking about that, today wraps up actually a few weeks where we're talking about one nation under God, is because when our Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1954, the words under God were added to it. And as we've said the last couple weeks, that may very well have been the first time in the history of our nation that that Pledge of Allegiance actually had a shot at working. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about unity, how unity just simply does not happen without under God, the words under God, and without the meaning of under God being tied to unity, because unity was, was God's word first, and it was his definition first. And anytime you try to detach, as we talked about unity from under God, you don't get unity, you get uniformity. And so that first week we said, unity is not, I agree with you. It's, I live under him. Remember that unity comes about because we all agree that we submit and live under the authority of our Heavenly Father. And then last week we got to another word, liberty. Liberty. And there are a few different, uh, oh my gosh, we almost just went down that liberty mutual jingle again. Um, but liberty is one of those where there could be a lot of different levels of freedom, couldn't there be? I mean, there was, there was a level we talked about last week. I'm free too. You know, when we hear you're free, we think, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. And yet, as, you, as we looked at what Paul had to say to the Corinthians, it's clear there was a higher level of freedom. There's a higher level of liberty that we talked about. That better than I'm free to is I'm freed for. And Paul pointed us to what we're freed for if we follow Jesus Christ. We're freed for his glory and other people's good. 
That's freedom. And that's the highest form of freedom. The idea that there would be freedom that is full autonomy that wouldn't run over somebody else is a myth. It's an absolute myth. And so today we come to justice. And just like unity, just like freedom, liberty, it's only under God that we can find the right, correct, fullest definition of justice. Now, as I look at this last year, especially this last year, year and a half, I think we've seen something other than that. And, and we talked a little bit last week about how we landed where we are. Remember, we talked about in the 18th century, there was this, up to then, this idea of pre-modern thought. And pre-modern thought just said that there is a spiritual reality to our universe that transcends our physical reality. And they are, they are woven together. It's how God created things. And then we got to about the mid, and our founding fathers really came up against this shift from pre-modernism to modernism. And when modernism came about, it basically dispensed with the, the spiritual stuff and it dispensed with God. And it said, no, your only reality is your physical reality. And our founding fathers came up against this. And they kept in mind that there is, there is a freedom and that had, had to be fought for and it had to be established and woven into the fabric of our country. Now, did that mean our founding fathers were perfect? No, not at all. But they were coming up against a shift in worldview from pre-modernism to modernism. And then in the mid-1900s, we talked about this last week, we moved from modernism to a, a, new, a new ideology came on the scene, post-modernism. And post-modernism not only said, who's God? But post-modernism said, not only is your physical reality not your reality, your reality and your truth is whatever you decide it to be. Whatever you want. Now, when you play that out, what you end up with are definitions of words that were God's words in the first place. And we see these words all over scripture. He had them before we ever had them. He put them out there before we ever put them out there. He defined them before we ever defined them. But when you take God out of the picture, what happens is is we come up with a new standard of these words, unity and liberty, and especially justice. And as I've watched over the last year, I think if one thing has become, become clear, when you take God out of the picture, justice becomes something that is based on what I can justify and what I feel I can justify, not what God says is just. I want to take you back to a passage that we pointed at just a, a few weeks ago. This is in John chapter 18. I think it's a perfect picture of what has happened probably across the board in our country. But in John chapter 18... Here's what's happened. The authorities have come to arrest Jesus. They're going to go put him on trial at night. It's an illegal trial. And after he has wrapped up his time with his disciples and he spent some time praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, they've come for him. And the Roman soldiers show up and they ask who he is and he tells them who he is. In fact, so much power came out of him when he said, I am. When they asked, are you Jesus? And he said, I am. That they actually fell over. It was like a little bit of power just slipped out like, whoop, oh, whoop, sorry guys. And they just fell over. And they get back to their feet and they move forward to arrest Jesus. And you can imagine, here's Peter. One of Jesus' disciples, he's standing there and he's watching what's about to happen. And it's so unjust. It's an illegal trial that they're about to put Jesus, his teacher, his master. They're going to put him on an elite, into an illegal trial at night. And so Peter decides... With God right next to him, with God right next to him, don't lose that. 
Peter decides he's going to take things into his own hands. John chapter 18, verse 10 says this, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. One sentence says so much, doesn't it? With God right there at his side. I mean, could we all just look around and think through? I mean, especially in the church, right? As Christians, we'd like to imagine and trust that we could trust God's promise that he's with us. But with him right there with us, we can lose sight of him so easily, can't we? We can draw the sword. We can begin to swing it around. As I've watched what's gone on in our culture this last year, I'm realizing we've all got a sword that we're swinging around, don't we? There's this thing that's that's popped up. You've heard of this. Cancel culture. The very essence of cancel culture is to draw a sword. Because because it's the language of cutting off. If I don't like where you stand on something, draw on the sword. I'm going to cut you off. If I don't agree with every single little thing, I'm going I'm to cut this relationship off. And the malice with, with which we do it. Now, I, I know we've seen it. We've seen it in the media. But the truth is, more than we could even point at the media, doesn't it sit in our hearts? When we come across people we don't agree with, this is what we do. We cancel. We cancel things with them. The other thing that has come up over this last year or maybe been highlighted is actually something that is a perfectly legitimate part of our our legal system. But we in the church have to know that it is not the final say and it's not everything. And it's this idea of reparations. When we perceive that we've been wronged, we look for somebody to fill where there's a void. And, And that's been all over the news this last year. But in the church, remember, these were God's words to begin with. Unity and freedom and justice. Then what does that look like? Are financial reparations the fullest thing that we can bring about? Especially as the church. Not downplaying the legitimacy of reparations by way of our justice system. But is that the highest we have to offer? And I would tell you unequivocally, no. It is not the highest we have to offer as Christians. But see, when we define justice outside of God, we draw a sword to bring it about, don't we? And we'll do and we'll be led by what we can justify, but not what God says is just. And it may feel right, but it doesn't often go right. As we saw in the case of Peter, Jesus turned to him and said, no, no, put your sword away. Remember, we got the actual sound effect a few weeks ago of of what putting his ear back on was. He went... That's what it was right there. we'll, We'll ask about it one day. I came across an article not too long ago. It was actually last year when we were all home. We all had a lot of time to read. And I came across this article that I just went, oh, man, it is surfacing something in me. And even though the math could be totally wacky on it, I went, this is all of us, this thing that's rising up inside me. I came across an article that said um, it, it, it can be shown across many different industries that your salary and your pay is tied to your height and how, how tall you are. So I'm reading this and I'm just getting fired up because I read this thing that said, and it, was, it, was, um, it wasn't an American writer, it was somebody else. So they went off the metric system and they basically asserted that based on all the research they've done, for every centimeter of height that you have, 
you get paid about 1.3% more. So I did a little math, converted this over to inches, and I realized that based on the average pay across the U.S., and I know that's a broad spectrum, but if you were to just land in the middle based on the average pay, for every inch taller you are, you make about an extra $2,000 a year. And I am like stomping around our house, steam coming out my ears. Because I started doing the math on this, and I went, oh my goodness. So, so wait a second, the average height... Of, of an American male is like five foot nine, and I'm five four, and I am five four. It's actually five four and a quarter, but that's what those of us who, who want every little bit, we, we say these things. So I did the math on that, and I went, oh my goodness, that would equate, that would equate to like an extra $4,700 a year. Well, I found this calculator online, and it talked about inflation, and, 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 and I started thinking about. You know, if we were to go back in time, who could I blame for my height? And so I naturally thought of my parents. And I went, they owe me. They owe me. And forget the 18 years that I grew up under their roof. They, you guys owe me, all right? <laughs> but then I thought, well, who would they point at? Well, they'd point at their parents. So grandma and grandpa, all of them, they owe, they owe us, mom and dad. And I just kept going back and kept going back. Finally, I found a calculator that goes all the way back to 1635. This company is able to track the com- consumer price index all the way back to the year 1635 and base an amount of money in the year 1635 and accounting for inflation, what it would be worth today. So I went, all right, let's go back to the year 1635. I'm going to enter $4,700 um, in there. And um, what do we come out with? Now, I forgot to tell you this. That $4,700 is not even based on the average pay across the U.S. It's based on, hypothetically speaking, the pay for a pastor of a church in Littleton, Colorado. This is just hypothetical. The pay is like $10 a week. Okay, so anyway, $4,700 in 1635, you draw that all the way forward to 2021, you know what it's worth? $148,000. Somebody owes me. We're going to pass the plates. And if you're over 5'4", let's go. No. So I just started messing with the calculator. I went, okay, 148000 You know what? I bet every single person in this room could come up with something that you feel you've been wronged. And it may, it may be perfectly valid. It may be perfectly valid. So multiply that $148,000 times seven, almost 7 billion people on earth today. You know what you get to? $1.04 quadrillion dollars. Now, My point is not to um, bring up the validity of reparations. It's to point out, let's just say we could do it. Let's say we could put that much money out there. Would it change anything? Let's say we all got our money for however, however, uh, whatever we're owed. Would it change anything? I think we'd all have more money and there'd still be a void, wouldn't there? There would still be a void. But see, when we define justice without God, you know what we do? We start swinging a sword. So we start canceling out people that wronged us, and we start saying, what am I owed? What do I get? Could be valid. Could be valid. But the problem is, when we swing a sword around to do it, we hurt people. We harm people. We injure people. And so I'd like to propose a definition of justice under God. But in order to get to that definition of justice that's under God, we have, to, we have to start with a different question. Not what am I owed? We all have to look in the mirror and say, what did I owe? 
What did I owe? Because who originally was wronged in the first place? Our Heavenly Father, wasn't he? See, our Heavenly Father, when he created this earth and he created us, you know what he did? He put his image inside human beings. And he said, of all my creation, this, this is my greatest creation. So I'm going to put my image into it. I'm going to pour my image into human beings. You know what sin did? Sin tarnished his image. And so the question, or the definition of justice that's under God has everything to do with who was wronged in the first place. And we're going to come back to the wrongs that happened between one another. But to start, we have to go all the way back to who was actually originally wronged. It was him. It was him. And so we've got to come back to a definition of justice that he has defined. And when we, when we define justice under God, you know what happens? We don't swing a sword around to bring it about. We submit to his way of bringing it about. And the starting point of that conversation is we have to think, okay, not what am I owed, what did I owe? How would I want justice to be handed out to me if I'm the one with a debt? And so to do so, I want us to look for a few moments at how he handled us when we owed a debt. What does that look like? And it wasn't cutting off and it wasn't cutting down. It was a sword. But you know who took the sword? His son. He said, my son will take the sword. In fact, he took something worse than a sword, didn't he? He took a cross. So that you and I would not have to face a sword, but something much softer. And I want to bring you to, just for a moment, and then we'll get back to what we were talking about, the character of justice as defined by our Heavenly Father. This is in Isaiah chapter 42. Listen to what he says. He says, here is my servant whom I uphold. And as we read through Isaiah chapter 42, you'll realize very quickly who he's referring to, his own son. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Now, can you see how strong this servant is right here? Who he is is directly correlated to the hand that holds him and delights in him. This is the servant who will bring justice. How does he go about it? Verse 2. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. I mean, you may very well and I may very well, whether it was in the streets or at our television sets or at our phones, raised our voice, haven't we, a little bit? Because we see something that we know is not right. And we cry out. He says, no, that's, that's not what this servant does. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know what that means? He cancels no one. He cancels no one. Not those too weak to be able to stand up like a bruised reed. Not a smoldering wick. He doesn't snuff them out. Now, we all could think through and think, think about maybe it's ourselves, but we've got people in our lives that just feels like they're smoldering, right? And while we may go cancel culture on them, in Isaiah we read, no, nah, that's not what he did. That's not what he did. I'm sure Jesus had them. You know, there were the bruised reeds, the people who could be of no benefit to him, that could do nothing for him, that could do nothing to increase him, and that's all of us, right? He says, I won't break them. A smoldering wick? 
You know, there are some Pharisees. You read about the Pharisees and you think they're smoldering. You know, they're walking around and they're angry and they're mad. And while Jesus had to be harsh with them at times, he didn't snuff them out. In fact, he used two of them powerfully. Nicodemus, who came to him at night. Saul, who, who we know as Paul. The Pharisee of Pharisees. Jesus went, look, just, just because we're not seeing things the same way, just because we're not going the same direction, I don't break you. I don't snuff you out. Verse 3, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Now, I, I want you to just pay attention here for a moment. What is the language like here? You notice there's no screaming and there's no, there's no swinging a sword around. See, you and I associate strength with a sword, don't we? And yet Isaiah 42 is a meek, humble, gentle servant. That's the character of justice that we see in Isaiah 42 in reference to Jesus. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Can you, I mean, can you imagine sitting there in the garden? This looks like it's just not going his way. Not the, maybe not the way that we would have pictured. And yet, not discouraged. He will not be discouraged. He will establish justice on earth on earth. And what is that injustice again? That God was wronged. That our relationship, God's highest creation got distorted in its relationship with the creator. And so what is justice? Jesus came to mend it and to bring justice to the earth. He will not be discouraged. He will not be discouraged. We get to this next part of of verse four. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. You remember his teaching? You know, just go down the street and whoever you disagree with, destroy, turn over. No, that's not what it was. The teaching, John 13. John 13, one of those last teachings that he left us with. John 13, you remember they're sitting around the table. He goes around the table and the disciples who were sitting there. I mean, there, there is none of us that wasn't represented at that table. There was Peter who denied him. There was Judas who betrayed him. There were James and John who were constantly after their own glory and their own power. And what did Jesus do? He took off his robe, the sign of his authority. He grabbed a towel and he began to wash their feet. Here's that teaching, John 13. He says, now that I, your Lord, and there's that word from Isaiah 42, teacher. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. See, outside God, outside God, justice, we define it with a sword, don't we? But under God, justice doesn't swing a sword. It holds a towel. It holds a towel. And here's the thing about that night before Jesus was crucified. He didn't say this wasn't just, this, this wasn't just me. Now it's for you. Here's what he says, a handful of verses later. A new command I give you, verse 34 of John 13. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In the simple act, the simple service of washing feet, 
They couldn't possibly understand what was happening that night. Jesus told them so. He said, look, the washing of feet actually represents something that you will understand later. Why later? Because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. The washing of feet would actually represent what Jesus did when he cleansed us of our sins at the cross. And he brought justice to the original injustice that he made us right with our heavenly father if we would believe and trust in his work at the cross. And so the simple act of serving another person, it becomes a way of bringing about justice for you and for me. And it becomes all that it becomes to other people because of all that it is for us. It was no ordinary act. He did an extraordinary thing through it. The trajectory of scripture, as I was thinking about it, it's so interesting. That last night, I mean, everything's just going downhill. And if you were to look across God's word, it's scripture, the trajectory is just, I mean, there's, for God's people, you know, there are some, some ups and downs, but it just seems to keep going down. And I started kind of looking around at our world and I went, gosh, it kind of just feels like it keeps going down. And yet all the way through it, you know what God does? He faithfully, faithfully through his servant and his son brings forth justice through his people. He continues to uphold his people to bring forth justice. See, there's something we have to get here. For all the screaming and all the swinging around of swords that maybe, maybe we ourselves have even carried out this last year, when we disagree with somebody, when we don't see something the same way as somebody else, when you've had God's towel at your feet, you stop needing a sword in your hands. So what are we all riled up about? What are we getting so mad at one another about? Are there injustices? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we could spend the next year talking about every single one of them. But what are we so fired up about? Because the servant who brought justice now turns to us. And he says, now, as I have done for you, you do for others. And in his way. Do you notice who Isaiah 42 said would bring about justice? We like to, we like to make ourselves the hero, right? I'm going to bring about justice. No, he will. He will. And you might get to see the end result of it. But it's simple. It's a towel for those right in front of us. Years ago, the first uh, protest in the streets that I ever got to encounter, um, it wasn't long after the shootings at Columbine in 1999, and the church here had made a decision on this backfield to plant 15 trees. And I'm not here to talk about the merits of whether it should have been 15 or the 13 students, innocent students who were killed, but it was the recognition that the, the 13 students who were killed and the two perpetrators had families that were hurting. And so the church made a decision to plant 15 trees in recognition of 15 families hurting. Now, there was a lot that came out in the media about how could their parents not have known that they were planning this and going to carry this out. We weren't going to argue that. It was just the recognition that there are 15 families who lost children. And so we planted trees here. Well, we showed up the next Sunday morning after those trees were planted. And there is a, there's like a, no joke, an angry mob out here. And I'm looking closer and I was like, oh my gosh, Abraham Lincoln is part of the angry mob. I came to find out there was a guy actually dressed like, like Abraham Lincoln. He was screaming at the top of his lungs. 
And I was like, this is not very presidential, President Lincoln. All right. I expected a, a more quiet, calm President Lincoln. But I, I remember watching um, something on the news later that week, and I found out that pretty much every protest has Abraham Lincoln protesting at it. But what I will never forget was that morning, as this mob of people was shouting and they were mad and saying this wasn't right, was what happened. There were a bunch of us who were still in youth group or just out of youth group. We went to the coffee bar, grabbed bagels, grabbed coffee, and walked toward these people that were shouting and chanting and started just handing them coffee. And handing them bagels. And suddenly, like, the shouts died down. And it was like, whoa, what are you doing to us right now? And went, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. In some way, that's justice. Now, is that the kind of justice that we perceive as relevant in our world? No. And part of why we don't perceive it as relevant is because of the worldviews that have taken root over time. Because we've gradually pushed God out of the picture, haven't we? And yet, the simple act of washing somebody's feet, whatever that looks like in your context, can begin to be a reminder that there is an image of someone greater, their creator, inside of them. This is what Jesus was getting at. When you've had God's towel at your feet, you realize that it is a lesser form of power to pull out a sword, start swinging it around, go and cancel culture. You know, pointing at something that doesn't ultimately fulfill people. And you see it. You see it in the life of Peter. I love Peter's story because you've got all these chapters in the Gospels where it's like Peter just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. I love to point at Peter and I have to think one day God's going to put me in a room with Peter and be like, all right, Peter, go after Nathan now, right? He's going to do that with all of us. But something incredible happens from Peter not getting it to the beginning of the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit has descended. Jesus has left the earth. The Holy Spirit has descended. And Peter, Peter, who on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus came to his feet with a towel. You remember what Peter said? I think this might be the issue for a lot of us. You remember what he said? He said, oh, you'll, you should never wash my feet, Jesus. I should be, I think he meant well. I should be washing your feet, he seems to imply. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me at all. And I have to think that that's probably the issue for a lot of us. Is that we haven't fully understood the justice that Jesus brought us, first and foremost, when we look in the mirror. And so some people are walking around with a lot of anger and a lot of anger. Right? Because we haven't understood that Jesus didn't deal with us that way. Jesus took God's anger on our behalf, but he dealt with us with a towel. Some of you in here, it it may be the exact opposite. You're, You're dealing not with the anger thing, and it's not exactly the exact opposite, but you're dealing with something else. It's guilt and shame. And right now, culture's handing you a definition of justice that is causing you to just wallow in guilt and shame. You want to know why? Because perhaps we don't come back to and spend time and immerse ourselves in that moment in which Jesus said, let me wash your feet. If I don't do it, you have no part with me. Because when you daily come back to his washing of the feet, what he did at the cross, you know what you realize? The shame is gone. The shame is gone. And there's nothing on this earth that should be putting those chains back on us. 
Nothing. Now, is that a battle? Of course it is. We all walk through that. This is why we got to come back to it daily. When you've had God's towel at your feet, you don't start pulling out a sword and swinging it around. And yes, Peter did that later that night, but then he understood because of the cross happened. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, in chapter 3, Something incredible happens. Peter and John are going up to the temple. It's time to pray. They see this guy who's been begging and begging and begging and begging. You could call it an economic injustice. You know, who, who, who's going to do this for him? Who's going to help him? And Peter said, look at us. And it says the man looked at him thinking he was going to do something for them. And right now you and I walk in a world that looks at the church and says, what are you going to do for us? And we have a question as the church. What are we going to do for people? I mean, we can cancel out, you know, uh, whether it's people in the world or even one another when we don't all agree and we're all on the same page. We could point toward reparations, and yes, there's something to, to meeting people's practical needs, but it's always, always, always tied to spiritually, the heart. That is the deepest need in front of us. And so what does Peter say to the beggar? And Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. What a difference. This is not Peter drawing the sword saying, somebody do something about this. Peter just knew where to start. Do we know if they were able to help the man's financial situation down the road? We don't know. We don't know. And we all get called into those situations. But let us never forget that the greatest thing we can do, the greatest justice we can bring, is to bring the same towel to others' feet that God put at our feet when he went to the cross on our behalf. And so, as we wrap up this series, as we wrap up today, four shifts that I'd ask us to consider and the worship team can begin making their way back up here. Number one, could we shift from my image, our image in other people's eyes to God's image inside of people? See, too often, I think what, what happens is we pander and we compromise to what, to the, the loud, intense voice of culture because we're really, really worried about our image in other people's eyes rather than God's image inside of people. Can we get there? And I got to tell you, that is not a class you take. You pray your way there. You absolutely pray your way there. Number two, can we move from seeing reparations as the highest good we can do for somebody to redemption? Maybe reparations are part of it. But as the church, as the church, we can do something that no government program, no bill that gets passed can do. We can point them to redemption. Number three, and this is a big one, especially for me, from anti-other ideologies to a pro-biblical worldview. You want to know why I say that? Because every single person in here is being offered a definition of justice that you will accept and you will take and it will carry you down the road in the wrong direction if we do not come back to a biblical worldview. This is why, this is why we open the word every single time we gather so that we can know. We can know that what we're being offered is not the life-giving thing that the word is. Finally, from being understood 
Got news for you. We're going to be misunderstood. If our Savior was misunderstood at his trial and all through his life, we're going to be misunderstood. From being understood to living under God. And if we could get there, if we could get there, you know what I think? I think God, God can do what only he can do. And give us that sense and experience of being one nation under God. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, the last few weeks have been words that um, they sit there for us. As we go through our days and our weeks, you know, we, we have a to-do list and we've got specific things on the schedule. But these are the kinds of things that sit deeply within us. And why? Because they're your words. You knit these into us. And so, Lord, let us not point at the government to do something that you appointed the body of your son, Jesus Christ, to do. Lord, let us as the church, you know, whether we differ on things or not, let us come back to uh, the, the starting point, that it's falling under your authority, that in submission to you, the church finds unity. And in submission to you, we live the highest level of liberty. And in submission to you falling under your authority, then true justice can be carried out. And we can feed the world with something. We can feed the world with something that only you can give. And so, Lord, as we go forward, remind us, we don't have to swing a sword around because you put a towel at our feet. And so now place that towel in our hands and give us eyes to see who we can do the same for and bring that message to. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.